cold or real hot. And we're going to embrace it either way. Right? Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Make you strong. <laughs> Make you strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but I came with a completely different colored shirt this morning. And it's already like four shades darker. <laughs> I'm like, it is what it is, brother. It is what it is. We're going to squeeze this out. And once I go through these bottles, I'm going to have my own nourishment up here. If you see me turn around, I'm just hydrating myself. So I'm just playing. The, I know you're like, yeah. All right, so here we go. Let me tell you something. Let me uh, say this one more time. Um, we just had the privilege uh, yesterday. And for those of you who didn't get to participate in this, I want everybody to um, just celebrate I'm a man who really is a national treasure and a national hero, Mr. Luis Lopez, who celebrated his 50th birthday yesterday. Yeah! Man of God, pillar in the house of God. Can't hide. <laughs> God will draw him out. And so we honor and celebrate you as a church family and say you are a man of God who we love, appreciate, and thank you for all that you are and all that you do. So um, anyway, uh, if we could, let's just go ahead and open our Bibles today because we are probably going to end up pra practicing of some of the spiritual gifts today. I'm going to drop and you're going to raise me from the dead. So we're going to go quickly. I, I'm, ha, ha. Okay, so here's the point. If you could go into the Bible today to Genesis chapter 32, we're going to um, start there and finish our series today, which is a series that's been called Redemption. Redemption, okay? And today we're going to finish the series by talking about, da uh, not King David, but actually Jacob's life and how God brought him through the process of being a man who was known for his trickery and deceit, which is what his name Jacob meant, through a process of trial and suffering to work out of him the things that God wanted to put his finger on so that he could meet the living God and be changed by him and then come to a place where God actually changed his identity, changed his name, and brought him to a place where he was on a different track. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it not? Redemption is all in the gospel, and it starts here in the Old Testament with this man, Jacob. And so today's message, it's um, our finishing our series, Redemption, and it's called, I'm Not the Man I Used to Be, okay? If you uh, are taking notes, that's the title of, or subtitle of this message, I'm Not the Man I Used to Be, and we're going to cover that this today, <clears throat> going through these topics, encounter and humility, secondly, generosity, and then finally, transformation. Number one, encounter and humility, number two, generosity. And number three, transformation, which are all things that Jacob had to go through to become the man that God was making him to be. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us today. God, we thank you that regardless of how we came in, that God, you've got redemption and a plan of redemption for us, that you've got transformation through encounter, that you want to break us to bring us to a place of humility, that God, though we were self-preservationists, that you bring us to a place of generosity. And through that generosity, Father, we become like you in the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be people who are transformed and are agents of transformation in Jesus' name. Father, help us to see that and live that today. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, open to Genesis chapter 32. This is finishing the story of Jacob. And we know that Jacob was a man on the run. 
His redemptive path started because he was a man who was full of deceit, full of trickery. He was on the run because he had stolen his brother's birthright, which equated to his inheritance, right? I don't know about you what kind of family you came from, but you could have a family that's all well and good until somebody starts to pass away. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but when people start talking about an inheritance, then all of a sudden people start turning on each other, right? All of a sudden people start clamoring for money and possessions and land and, you know, jewelry and different things like that. So this guy, uh, Jacob, actually started to um, um, get into that same mindset. He stole the birthright from his brother Esau, and he also stole his blessing from God. Esau, who was a man, of um, a hunting man, a strong man, he was determined to kill his younger brother. He was twin brother, but he was younger by a few minutes, and he was determined to kill him. So his mother said, get out of Dodge and go to the land of your uncle. And in that land, you're going to find a little place of respite and peace for a period of time. And in that place, God in his sovereignty met with him over and over again. And in the midst of him receiving the recompense for what he had sown into other people's lives, right? Because God always says, you're going to reap what you sow. He got the brunt of being the one who was tricked and deceived by his uncle Laban. So what he had done to others came back on him. But even in the midst of that, God was merciful. God was gracious. And God continued to meet with him transforming him along the way. And not just transforming him, but blessing him. Because we know that part of God's redemptive plan is that not only does he want to bring people to himself through Jesus Christ, but he wants to give them life and life to the fullest when we follow his ways. And so he all of a sudden starts to bless him in the land of uh, Laban, and he starts to bless him with possessions. He starts to bless him with a family. He begins to bless him with posterity. He begins to bless him with all the things that were important in that society. And God said, if you continue to look, with, um, look to me, I'll be with you and increase you as I promised your fathers before you. So at this point, we see in Genesis 32 that Jacob is in a place where he's been through that process. And finally, after building his wealth, building his possessions, God's sending him back to the land from which he came, back to the land of Esau, his brother, who was ready to kill him because of his trickery. And we see how he had to approach it in this manner. So Genesis 32, starting in verse 1. It said, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. The angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Esau was Jacob's brother, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, listen, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. But Jacob, you better be ready. There are about 400 men with him. I don't know what kind of welcome you're going to get. And so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. 
I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be um, numbered for multitude. So we see that Jacob has come to a place where self-sufficiency has in essence been broken in him. And that's a good place that we all need to get to, right? In all of our lives, we have certain skills, we have certain talents, we have certain endowments that God's blessed us with. And to a certain point in your life, whether you've been serving God or not, you've depended on those things, right? They've almost been the things that have identified you. And Jacob, up to that point, had lived in a place of trickery, had lived in a place of deceit. He had lived based on his cunning and his ability to get by in life, right? You might have called Jacob a swindler, right? A hustler. If anybody's lived in Chicago long enough, you've come across a hustler. Anybody know what I'm talking about? On the train or in your business or coming to your door, there are plenty of hustlers in the city. And the thing about it is Jacob had become identified with that, but over the course of time and God's plan for redemption in him, eventually he says, Jacob, I've got better for you. I've got more for you, and you don't have to live that way anymore. If you choose to do it my way, if you choose to allow me me to break you if you choose to begin to here's the point in this first part recognize the encounters that I'm giving towards you and you'll acknowledge me in them then I'll give you liberty in your soul not to have to resign to the things that often get you in trouble not to have to resign to the things that often cause friction in your family friction in your relationships, friction in your job. He says, if you do it my way, he said, the blessing of the Lord adds wealth and adds no trouble to it. And I'm telling you, I'm coming to give you a better way. But you've got to start to recognize the encounters that I have for you. Each of us have had moments in life where we've been going in one direction in our own way opposed to the ways of God. Now, some of us don't recognize it because we think that we're in and of ourselves self-righteous people. You know what I'm talking about? I'm a pretty good person and I do pretty good things. If I compare myself to someone else, I'm not as bad as that person. Right? How many people have ever said something like that internally before? I, you know, I, listen, I know I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as that coworker of mine. I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as that friend of mine down the street. But God, went, because it's all about relationship with him, it's not about whether or not you're better or worse than another individual to your right or to your left. It's about whether your actions and lifestyle break the relationship that God intended for you to have with him through Jesus Christ. And if it's not complete in him, then ultimately it's broken. It's broken, and he says, listen, the only way that you're going to come back into a place of being able to be redeemed and get back on track for your life as I intended it for you is to begin to recognize the encounters that I've given you so that you might see me clearly. Jacob on his trek back to the land of Esau, he's, we see once again that just as God had met him on his way out, 
and has established this place of sacrifice, this altar, and he called it Bethel, which meant the house of God. And remember Jacob's ladder that we talked about, where the angels were ascending and descending on the, um, on the ladder of God, which represented Jesus Christ himself. We see that here again. God said uh, it, uh, later in the Mosaic Covenant, he said, listen, I want to bless you in your going in and bless you in your coming out. Jacob, just as I was with you when you were on the run from your brother Esau, and I gave you encounter to know I'm with you, as I'm sending you back into the land that you think is dangerous for you, I'm going to show you I'm with you again through this angelic visitation and show you that if you do it my way, just as I blessed you in that land, you'll be okay in this land going back as well. But we need to remember and begin to recognize and acknowledge the encounters that he's giving us. What are those encounters that he's presented to you today? It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be a neighbor who's been reaching out to you over and over again with the gospel, saying, hey, listen, God's got better for you if you just choose Jesus, repent of your sin, put your trust in the cross, and actually believe that there's a better way for you. But we think that if we don't discover it ourselves, then God's not actually in it. The truth is, is that God sent an angel. God sent an angel to say, God is with you, Jacob, in your going in, back into this place, just as he was in your going out. And my question to you today are, who are the people who are making appeals to you, saying God is trying to bring you to the cross? God is trying to bring you to a place of encounter. God is trying to bring you to a place that he can redeem your life if you just choose him. It's first recognizing the encounters. At first, when Jacob was going out, he didn't recognize Bethel, the house of God, until God gave him explanation of that place. This time, he was quick. He was quick to call the place Mahanaim, basically calling it the place of encounter with the living God. And if you've encountered God in this place, I'm telling you, it's only the beginning for you. If you're hearing something in the gospel today saying, I feel God calling me, I've heard about him before, but I, right now I feel compelled to go deeper, to actually make a decision, to actually start a relationship with him. It's only you saying, God, I'm recognizing the encounter you're giving me to transform and redeem my life. It's not emotionalism. It's you responding to the call of God. It's you responding to the call of God just like Jacob had to. He said, I'm recognizing the encounters he's giving me so that he can in fact redeem my life. But Jesus, when he was talking, he always said to the crowd, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. But the question today is, will you have eyes to see and ears to hear? What does that mean? That means I'm going to respond to what I'm hearing. In faith, I'm going to trust that he's got a better way for me. I'm not going to exclude myself. If I'm here, that means in God's sovereignty, he's got better for me today. This is a time of encounter. This is a time of encounter. He's not looking over the crowd, looking at everybody else except for you and your situation. Saying, I love and I care about everyone else's situation but yours. He's saying, if you're here, I'm telling you, this is just like Mahanaim. This is just like the time of encounter where the gospel's being preached and he's saying, redemption is at your doorstep. But to respond to redemption, 
you've got to come to a place of humility, right? You've got to come to a place of humility where it's sort of like, especially as men, come on now, men, we've got to learn to break. We've got to learn to break, right? Can any men say amen to that? Got to learn to break. Ladies, you've got to learn to break too, but most of the time I talk to men, so I'm just saying, knuckleheaded men, you need to learn to break, right? Come on, that's just true. Just need to learn to break because we're so self-sufficient, we're so prideful, we want to do it all ourselves and get all the credit, but what did Jacob have to learn? He had to learn humility to be able to respond to the encounter that God had given him. And the humility that Jacob responded with is he said, listen, I acknowledge, I finally acknowledge, I finally acknowledge that everything that I have, it wasn't the product of my own hands. If I have anything good in life, it's because God's been gracious to me. If I have breath in my body, if I have a family that loves me, if I have any money in my account, it's because God has been good to me and not because I've accomplished it by my own efforts and abilities. Whatever you have, humility starts to come out of your heart and it begins to prepare you for redemption. He said, listen, I acknowledge that when I went down into Laban's territory, I went only with my staff. Now as I'm going back in, I'm two camps. I have oxen, donkeys, camels, right? Maidservants and men servants. And I'm sending them ahead of me. And you know what? Before I depended on my trickery, but now I'm acknowledging it's all because of God. It's all because of God. Let me tell you something. If you're putting confidence in the work or the job that you have today, it can be taken in a moment. It can be taken in a moment. It doesn't matter how skilled, doesn't matter how many degrees you have, in a moment it can be taken from you. And let me tell you, sometimes it's out of the love of God for you. So you'll stop trusting in the idol of your career and start trusting in the one who gives you life, breath, and everything else. He says, start to acknowledge me. If I bless you, if I love you, if I've given you goodness from my hand, give me what's due me. Give me honor. Give me praise. Humble yourself and respond to me. And it doesn't matter where you've started, I can redeem you. If you're in a bad situation, let me tell you what a man named C.S. Lewis said. I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I forgot to send it to the uh, tech team, but please pay attention carefully. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Many times, you know, we're on high horses of life, especially in a city like us, right, a city like ours. We enjoy all the pleasures. We enjoy all the opportunities. We enjoy all that's afforded us, right? But it's only, unfortunately, because we're knuckleheaded, only in our pains that sometimes God gets our attention, right? Because God says, I'm going to either bless you and you're going to acknowledge me, or I'll allow pain to be the thing that gets your attention. And it's out of my love for you that I'll do this. Why? Because ultimately, if you live without me, you'll destroy yourself. You'll destroy your family. You'll destroy your life. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, in the problem, it's actually a book, great book. I commend it to everyone called The Problem of Pain. How many people have ever read that book before? The Problem of Pain, an amazing book. He, he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, 
but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I'm going to repeat that. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And ultimately, being a firstborn child, I had a younger sister, and I would always appeal to her, listen, you don't have to go through what I went through. Can any firstborn say amen to that? <laughs> any younger, like uh, younger children say, you know, I learned the lessons of my older siblings that I didn't have to go through what they went through. Come on, any younger ch- siblings say amen to that, okay? And in the same way, let me tell you what the Bible is. It's our older brothers and sisters in Christ who have actually learned lessons, either the easy way or the hard way. And he's saying, hey, listen, I'm telling you, you don't have to learn it the hard way. You don't have to learn it the hard way. If you submit, humble yourself, and go God's way in Christ, then you can actually basically avoid some of the pitfalls that our brothers and sisters have experienced before. But if we're ignoring it, our stories will be theirs. Redemption starts with encountering humility. But to be the man that he wasn't before, we see that God also made Jacob, a man of generosity, a man of generosity, right? Because in this world, you're told to be a self-preservationist, are you not? You're told it's all about you and what you can get for yourself and what you can take and obtain for your own family and your own life and whatever you can do for yourself. Jacob was one of those people, right? He was take, 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 take. Anytime he saw an opportunity, he's like, I'm taking a little bit more, taking a little bit more. But when we see him going back to meet his brother Esau, because he had come to a place of humility, God started to redeem his heart. It wasn't just about him anymore. He was saying, listen, I I learned my lesson. Instead of being a taker, I'm going to be a giver. Let me tell you something. If some of you need to redeem what's going on in your marriage, you need to start being a giver and not just a taker. If you want to redeem what's going on in your workplace, if you've only been there for a paycheck up to this point, you need to start being a giver rather than just a taker, right? You need to look to be a blessing and actually bless the house that you find yourself in and it's providing provision for you rather than just doing the bare minimum and taking whatever they can give you, right? All of a sudden, he's transforming his attitude and we find this is Genesis 32 starting in verse 13. Please turn there if you have it. It's on the screen for you. So he said... I'm sorry. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Remember, there's the same Esau who he had stolen from, right? There's the same Esau who he lived to get over on. Sent a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20, um, I'm sorry, 20 rams. 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls. Can you imagine this? All of this costs money now, right? It's not like they just like are saying, hey, listen, I just had another calf. Have a calf. You know, this all was their economy. 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. 
they are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So what we see is all of a sudden, did Jacob, was he using a little bit of cunning and wisdom to hopefully pacify his brother before he saw him? The answer is yes, right? The answer is absolutely yes. He's saying maybe he'll see all these donkeys and goats and sheep and just forget about what I did, right? So all of a sudden he looks at me and says, you stole my birthright. What, what, what birthright? I'm giving it all back to you, baby. <laughs> you know, whatever I, whatever I took, it's all yours, right? But he also understood that there was something that God had done and expressed toward him that he needed to express toward others now. How many of you would agree that God's been abundantly generous toward you? Abundantly generous toward you. Abundantly gracious toward you. Well, let me tell you, when you're following God, he says to be an imitator of Christ. Be an imitator. That is your call and that is your command. If you want to reduce it, a lot of times we get befuddled or overwhelmed by how many commands there are. But I love how Jesus always simplified it, right? He simplified it by saying, hey, listen, fishermen, stop what you're doing and follow me. Right, he said in Ephesians, Paul talking to the Ephesian church, hey, if you want to summarize what it is to be a follower of Jesus, be an imitator of God. What you see him doing, what you see him like, you imitate that and he'll be pleased with you. If you don't think that God would be involved in that, doing that, or putting his hand to it, stay away from it. Easy enough, right? Easy enough. It's what's called the sanctified imagination. The sanctified imagination, you know what I'm talking about? You begin to meditate on the word of God and you begin to think to yourself, what would he do? What would he do? And if he's about it, I'm about it. If he's not, I'm not. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Very plain and simple, right? And if we're messing around with things, whether it be entertainment, relationships, or activities that he wouldn't be involved in, it is sin. And it needs to be repented of today. Sexual morality, drunkenness, impurity, idolatry, greed. All of these things, he said, that's not of him. Repent and believe the good news. I want to redeem your life today as you're an imitator of God. But part of that was not just turning away from things, it was turning to things. It was him turning towards having a generous heart and a generous lifestyle. Obviously, the most generous thing that God ever did for us is sent his only son, right? Sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that each of us should have lived. To perform signs, wonders, and miracles so we wouldn't have to wonder who he was, but he could identify that he was, in fact, the son of the living God. Opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, raising people from the dead, then predicting his own death, going to the cross, on that cross, hanging there and saying, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. But I'm going to take the wrath on myself that they deserve. And three days later, because of my innocence, I'm going to rise from the dead to give them forgiveness of sins and new life if they choose me. 
But that same generosity that was expressed to us needs to be expressed to others. Jacob learned this through having a heart of generosity. He learned the wisdom of, of Solomon. You could like write these uh, Proverbs down. These are just good practices to have. If you're wondering, how do I cultivate a generous heart within myself? He's saying give gifts. Just like Jacob learned to give gifts. Let me tell you something. When my kids start spending the night at other people's houses, let me tell you something. I'm not going to have them just go and eat all the other people's food or, you know, take all their stuff, mess up their stuff. I'm going to be like, listen, you're coming to give something and say thank you, right? Isn't that just good etiquette and good habit when you show up in a place not your own to come bearing gifts? This is what he said to do. That's, let me tell you something. Part of why we tithe and offer here is because in the Old Covenant, he said this, do not appear before the Lord who we worship empty-handed. We come with gifts before him saying, thank you, God. Thank you for all you've done for me. When we worship him, we're saying, thank you, God, for who you are. We honor and we praise you for your goodness towards us. This is what the proverb says. It says in Proverbs 17, verse 8, a bribe... This is Solomon talking, a wise man. He says, a bribe <laughs> is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Now, is he talking about being unethical with bribes? No. He's not talking about buying your way out of situations in which you found yourself. But here, what I'll say is that Jacob did. All right, Proverbs 18, 16. He said, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Be generous. Proverbs 19.6 says, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. You ever find that to be true before? Sort of like you may not even like get along with somebody, but they, like, they come just to give you a like, Starbucks card or something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're my best friend. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, we've been boys for years, right? And you're like, it was over a Starbucks card. <laughs> Why? Because the Proverbs are true, right? Favor follows those who reflect God and his character. Favor follows those who um, reflect God and his ways. He says, if you want to redeem your life, stop being a taker and be a giver. Proverbs 21, 14, last one. He says, a gift in secret this is what Jacob was hoping for. Averts anger and a concealed bribe, strong wrath. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. Just some practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. Now, all of these things, whenever God's starting to redeem your life, you recognizing your encounters that you're having with him, you being broken and coming to a place of humility and then finally being like God where you're not just a taker but a giver, then he can actually transform you, right? Because you're not holding on to things anymore, but you're, you're saying whatever you want you, is yours, God. You, you see how that works? You don't hold on to the things anymore that can effectively raise themselves up as idols in your life. But because of that, because of that generous heart and generous spirit, he says whatever you're saying, all of a sudden my hands are open, God. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever you want is yours. Whatever you want is yours. And he says, from that place, I can transform you. I can actually redeem your life. If you're always holding on to things, then they become idols, like the rich young ruler. Remember that? 
the story of the rich young ruler with Jesus, came to Jesus and said, hey, listen, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said, oh, listen, I got you, baby. You, you obey the commandments. Self-righteous as he was, he said, okay, which ones? <laughs> and Jesus said, you know them. Honor your father and mother. Don't covet, right? Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, and all going through the Ten Commandments. And he said to himself, hey, listen, I'm good, Jesus. All these I've done since I was a child. And he said, okay, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And after that, come follow me. And all of a sudden, he was like, whoa. Well, this is serious. He, this is real. I mean, he's talking about real stuff in my real life. This isn't just like theoretical or esoteric, right? That's how people relate to God a lot of times, if I just believe or think the right things. No, he actually lays your, his hand on your stuff. <laughs> right? He lays your hand, his hand on your stuff and says, hey, listen, sell it and give to the poor, and then come follow me. And you know what happened? He said the rich young ruler went away sad because he was a man of great wealth, and he was like, you know what? I wasn't willing to give that up. And it said Jesus loved him, but this is the scary part. Jesus loved him, but he allowed him to go. He allowed him to go. He didn't chase that man down. He allowed him to go. And my appeal to you today is when he is calling you, don't turn your back on him so that he allows you to go. That's the wrath of God being expressed today, that he turns us over to our own desires. That's what Romans says. We always think it's going to be fire and brimstone, but he says, no, it's Burger King, baby. Have it your way. That's why Burger King represents judgment. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Careful what you eat. Okay. Transformation. What does it actually look like? We're finishing with this scripture, then we'll get out of this heat. Genesis 32. The same night, his heart and his hands were open. His heart and his hands were open. He's like, I've acknowledged you, God. God, I'm broken before you. I'm, I've humbled myself. God, I'm turning. I'm repenting. I'm making a decision to be a generous man. God, I'm coming to you. And God says, okay, you're ready for transformation. Genesis 32. Ready for redemption. He says in verse 22, the same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, this is Jacob, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. <laughs> and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God 
and with men and have prevailed. That's what actually Israel means. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he says, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. What is this? This is the point of transformation. When ultimately, though you respond to and acknowledge the encounters that God's giving you, you come to a place of humility and you're saying, God, whatever I have is yours. Ultimately, you need to get alone with God. You need to get alone with God and get free of all the distractions, all the crutches, all the vehicles between you and him that have been propping you up up to this point, and you need to start wrestling. You need to start wrestling. And let me tell you something. That theophany was like God himself coming down and saying, all right, Jacob, you want redemption? You want my blessing? Then here we go. And you start wrestling with God. God, I'm desperate for a change. God, I'm desperate to have you touch me. I'm desperate to have you use me. I'm desperate, God, for you to revolutionize my life. And the good news is, is that no matter how arrogant we think we are and how much we think that we wrestle with God, I've heard people say that all the time. Yeah, I'm really just in a fight with God right now. Okay, guess who's going to win? Okay, guess who's going to win? That's, that's okay, think what you want. He's got a hip socket for you too. This is the thing about it. God says, all right, listen, you could wrestle all day long, but ultimately I'm going to pin you. I'm going to pin you. The thing that you think you can hold on to and still serve me, I will touch that hip socket and give you a limp if I need to. And for the rest of your days, you'll be touched either by my blessing or by the thing that I needed to touch in your hip socket to get rid of that arrogance, to get rid of that pride, to get rid of that rebellion in you so that I could actually rename you and give you an identity that's founded in me and not yourself. What Jacob was known as before was the thief and the deceiver, but then all of a sudden when he began to get alone with and wrestle with God, his identity was changed. And so many of you have identified yourself by the things that you used to do before, that the, way, the ways you used to live, or the things that society tells you are, should be important to you. But God's like, I'm coming to change your very identity. And I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new name, and you're going to be called by something different. And if you don't give it up, I'll touch your hip socket. So out of my love for you, you can walk out with that new identity and that new name. The wrestling is coming one way or another. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you, it's right around the corner for you. But I tell you, it's coming, and you better give it up now. But because he's coming to wrench that hip and say, I'm determined to give you encounter. I'm determined to break you in humility out of love for you. I am determined 
to make you a generous man or generous woman who's willing to give up all. That's what the gospel said, right? Jesus said, unless you're willing to give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Everything. I'll get that hip. And at the end of the day, he touched it. Jacob buckled, right? It's like, oh, well, that was God. Sometimes he didn't even, re- see, that's the thing about it. Let me, there's some of you in here, let me say this by the Spirit of God. There's some of you in here who don't understand that the trials and circumstances that you're going through are your wrestlings. See, Jacob didn't understand who he was wrestling with, and he had to ask him his name. Let me tell you something. Right now, some of you are in the middle of a wrestling and you don't understand that it's God himself coming to wrench your hip so that you might, in fact, be saved. He said, why do you ask my name? And in the gospel, he said, I've already told you my name. It's Jesus, the name that's above every name, that at his name, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, right? whether through the wrenched hip or not, proclaiming that he's Lord. And that's ultimately what he's after. And that's ultimately where transformation occurs. He says, let me wrench your hip, either voluntarily, and if not voluntarily, I'll take it anyway. But it's because I love you and I want to change your identity. I love you and I want to change your identity. This is the path of redemption. This is where... Jacob finally found himself, and it's what he has for each and every one of us today. So, finally, to summarize, understanding that as God was preparing Jacob to meet his brother Esau, he came with a new word saying, I'm not the man I used to be. And God Almighty, don't we want to be able to say that? Every one of us. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not the man or the woman that I used to be. That's part of the good news, right? He said, I get you there by number one, helping you to acknowledge encounter. Number two, bringing you to a place of humility. Number three, bringing you to a place of generosity where it's all his. And then finally, in that place, number four, transforming your life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so think on these things as the worship team comes up. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a moment where we can respond to God, as Jacob did, in the midst of the wrestling, saying, God, give me a new identity. God, make me new. God, redeem my life.